0: This episode of Untold is with Ollie Cohen. Ollie is an ex international professional rugby player, having enjoyed a much distinguished and very successful career with both Harlequins and Wales. Rugby is a famously brutal and short lived career, which having experienced injuries, Ollie was acutely aware of. On receiving a sausage making machine from his wife Ella, and with his brother Josh sharing his passion for sausages, Jolly Hog was established a full five years before Ollie hung up his rugby boots. This podcast covers Jolly Hog and their story so far in depth. And Ollie also talks about momentum and big wins, tough times, working with his brothers Max and Josh, as well as his parents, and the hugely impactful influence of culinary icon. Michelle Rue Jr. when he caused a huge sales spike by rating the Porky Blacks the greatest sausages in the world, live on morning television. So toast some sourdough, put some jolly hogs on the fry or grill, and enjoy Untold with Ollie Cone. as many non-brits as brits are you able to articulate the british love of sausages
1: well so there's a few questions in there right so i think the the love of sausages and the great british banger what we could do is strip it back and do a bit of the history of the sausage if you want i can do that that would be great um so um sausage the word sausage is a latin word developed from the from salt so sauce was Latin for salt and, um, you know, what, where it came from was about using the whole animal. So use the whole animal and you, um, mix the animal, uh, trim and the bits that were not the prime cuts, uh, with salt, put them back inside the intestine, which sounds a bit gross. But that's what it is back inside, um, some of the intestines with more salt, hang them, dry them. And then it was kind of like the ultimate convenience snack um a bit like the you know what is now a pepperami um so you know that was where it kind of originally came from and and obviously it's developed and there is thousands literally thousands of different types of sausages now and if you you know you know you only go to your local village butcher or on the high street and he'll say you know my recipe's the best so um yeah you know in the olden days and you know not you know it wasn't that long ago that you know sausages were literally like the offcuts of bits that people didn't want um, mixed and seasoned and put into skins and then you've got a really good kind of family meal Um, and I think that's why they're well I know I've got my um, rationale as to why they're (laughs) a favourite but the the two things for me are with sausages are there's loads of different flavours so they and you can have them kind of breakfast lunch and dinner so you you know you can't be a great sausage sandwich with a bit of sourdough and brown sauce in the morning but likewise equally as good on a barbecue in the evening or with bangers and mash right so th- that's why I think Brits love them I think they are really if you think about it quite cheap way of feeding lots of people as well um, and ultimately they taste great so they're kind of a bit indulgent as well so um, that's that's kind of a little bit on the brief history of sausage why I think the Brits love them um, and lots of people say to me you know what because our, our kind of core business is sausage and bacon. Um, which do you prefer? And it, for me, it's always sausage. I mean, I love the smell of bacon, don't get me wrong, like you can't beat it. But the sausage, there's so many different flavors, um, different regions and different countries will have different flavors. You know, you take uh, the UK, uh, you've got Lincoln a Lincolnshire sausage, very heavy on herbs and sage. You've got a Cumberland, um, really heavy on white and black pepper. Um, you've got uh, down in, in Gloucestershire um, and in the southwest, you know, it's about pork and apple and cider. Um, there, there's just loads of great recipes. So I find it so interesting uh, uh, and, and that's why I love them and I think Brits do as well.
0: Thank you, Ollie. Can you talk a little about the inception of Jolly Hog and yeah. uh, the, the, the the time when you were injured and, and the now Mrs. Hog bought you your first sausage making machine yeah so um in two i I,
1: firstly i so i start i I was a professional rugby player from 18 um and i kind of always knew that during that time because i'd had some long-term injuries i knew that i probably needed to get my act together and work out what i was doing post-rugby because it's not going to go on forever Mm -hmm. and those injuries made me really think about that you you have time as a professional sportsman to think about what you're going to do and lots of lads you know they'll sit play call of duty drink coffee and kind of procrastinate about opening a coffee shop or being a property developer um and i for me i always knew that i wanted my own business and i always knew it was probably going to be in food because i probably didn't know at the time that i needed to be doing something i loved if i want to be successful at it i need to do something i absolutely love and so I was playing rugby so fortunate to play professional sport you know rolling around with big guys who are all ambitious and uh, getting muddy having a good crack and you know it was brilliant i was very lucky to do that during that time i just knew that i had to do something about it so i kind of did lots of different things in food i um i worked in i did a shift in gordon Ramsay's kitchen peeling um tomatoes you know for a gazpacho soup for 12 hours to realize you know michelin star kitchens aren't for me um worked at various different places and restaurants just to kind of scope different concepts out and then basically in 2007 um, march 19th um my wife ella bought me a sausage making machine and it was the best gift i've ever ever been given um uh she didn't necessarily think that after you know the sausage meat all over the kitchen but from there, it, it was time that at a point when I was injured, I, I had a long-term knee injury. Um, and I was rehabbing and effectively making sausages during bacon, and I loved it, absolutely loved it. And I'm I'm dyslexic, so I learned through YouTube and um, a family friend of ours who had a butcher shop not too far away from where we lived in Twickenham. Um I met him in the pub, talked to him about sausage making, he gave me a book and um yeah just became obsessed to, uh, obsessed like completely obsessed I, you know my wife ella was like she'd find me at three o'clock in the morning watching youtube videos on how to link sausages and uh, i loved it and it gave me real focus while i was doing my rehab um coming back from long-term injury and and, and those were the very early days so um, ron the butcher who gave me a space and a butcher's block and a slightly bigger machine enabled us to do bigger batches and from there, I said to Josh, my younger brother, um, you know, why don't you jack in, uh, working for our old man, um, as a cabinet maker, cause you're hating that, um, being the boss's son, why don't you come and, and let's go make sausages together and chase the sausage dream. And we didn't know at the time we didn't have like a really detailed business plan. We were just like, we just loved it. So we do that. Uh, and then our first day's trade was at Twickenham in the corner of the car park um, at the stoop. We put a gazebo up, we bought a barbecue for 500 quid. We made some sausages on the Friday. Um, back then our sausages had like, they were just literally just meat. Um, and they didn't have, uh, they didn't have any preservatives in them. So they had to kind of be sold the next day. And um, yeah, and we, and we sold 500 quid's worth of bangers uh, an international, um, game and we we high fived each other. It was really hard work. We thought you know we, we're millionaires, and then we realised it cost us about eight hundred quid to be there, uh, and then we didn't have a clue what we we're doing. But loads of good feedback and everyone liked the sausages. So it was like that was really the very first time where we were like oh, this is quite cool. I was still a rugby player. Josh was still a cabinet maker, and that, that was the first event. And we were very much a. A kind of a street food concessions business um back then and, and max my middle brother was a shipbroker, and we he would work for us on the weekends as well in his spare time and then eventually over a fryer um a, a greasy spoon in guildford i said to him hey why don't you come and join us mate we need we need some we need some now me and josh haven't really got a clue what we're doing you know outside of making good sausages and bacon um and so we did and then, so the three of us kind of combined and um, that, was, that was how it started, really. It really just started from a love of making really good sausages and um, people enjoying buying them and that, and that was
0: it. Well, your passion and enthusiasm still comes across now many years later. So it's, it's obviously, like you said, important in any career to find something you love doing because you're gonna be spending 50, 60 hours a week doing it. So uh, that, that's, a, that's a great tale. In terms of the combination of still playing professional rugby and running the sausage concession, my understanding is that that there was still a little bit of an overlap. So I heard on a a podcast from mutual friend Will Skinner about a high-profile Heineken Cup game to take place. And you you possibly being a bit late for a team meeting and arriving covered in sweat and onions. Can you tell a little bit about that tale, if you recall it?
1: Well, it was like, you know, when you're starting a business, you have to just, it's all hands to the pump, isn't it? Um, and some of those early days were like mad. because yeah, because we started in 2008 was our first day of trade. I finished playing rugby five years later. So there was quite a lot of crossover. Um, but the, there was a determination to get this set up. Um, and yeah, it was all hands to the pump. We did anything we could. We grabbed any opportunity we could. So there was times where we had two events going on the same day, and we just had to make it work. Um, and I remember being in there was a uh, there was a Highland Cup game uh, on a Saturday. I said to Josh look, we're gonna have to do a hog roast and um, sausages at the end at the end of the car park in the gazebo. We we'll have to get set. Up. He's like, I've got no one to help me, so I was like, fine, I'll meet you there at four. It takes six hours to cook a pig. Um, we need to get onions chopped. Da 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 da. Set up. It was pissing with rain, disgusting weather, as it usually is during the rugby rugby season. Um, got set up and realised that the pig was too big to get in the hog race machine. So we had to cut the trotters off with a hacksaw um, and the head um, and the butcher had left the head on. Anyway, a bit gruesome. Had to get get the pig down to size to get it into the hog race machine to get it on in time, to get it cooked, to take some cash. Meanwhile, whilst Josh is wrestling with his pig, I'm chopping onions and frying onions all in good time for match day. Uh, and then, yeah, I had to go and play um, in a game. I remember walking into the rooms and um, Skins, who was our captain at the time, was just like, um, just like basically insinuated that I stank. Um, and then I went and played. Um, but it was, to be honest, I wouldn't want it any other way. Like it was a really good, for me, having, obviously, that's not ideal preparation for a game, but, uh, and I didn't do that very often, but it was, I think, having a focus outside of rugby is really good Uh, and having a business, setting up a business during that period, I'd always encourage people to do if you've got time and it doesn't distract you too much and getting that balance right. Um, But how fortunate, you know, to be a professional rugby player, to have time, to be able to research things um, and leverage a network at a great club like Quinn's, you know, I'm extremely lucky to have been able to do that. So they gave me a bit of a leg up in a way.
0: Do you recall who you played and if you won?
1: i i think it was bath and i think we did win um i was probably i might have been pretty clapped that day but uh um, <laughs> at least, we, right? at, least we, at least we sold some sausages you know
0: absolutely and, and a big crowd with the european game the name jolly yeah. the name jolly hog is is exceptional it's actually obviously a combination of, of josh and ollie as well so um Can you recall when you came up with the name? And then also, given Max has now joined the business, are you able to talk a little about how family business is? And whether you've got any similarities to the Trump organisation or the the Roy family family from Succession, or if it's a bit more friendly and laid back than that?
1: (laughs) So, yeah, Josh Josh and Ollie Jolly, which I know is really clever. Um, We like to think we are quite Jolly. I think it, it basically where mum and dad lived, where we grew up, was where we started the business. So we'd store all our gear there, we'd wash up all the catering equipment there. And when we started out, the local pub was three doors down called the Cross Hands, that Josh used to drink in. And I'm sure he came back one night and was like, I've got it. I've got it. I've got the name. And I was like, what is it? He was like, Jolly, the Jolly Hog and Sausage. And we were like, okay, well, we need to sound a bit more serious than that. So we would call, them, call ourselves the Jolly Hog and Sausage Company Limited, which is a ridiculous mouthful. Um, and so when you're writing up signs and you've got to write the Jolly Hog and Sausage Company Limited, you're like, this is ridiculous. And then we realized that actually we're not just sausage. So we just shortened it down to the Jolly Hog. Um, and yeah, it came from that. I think, it, I think Josh came up, I came up with it, um, whilst down at the Cross Hands over a few beers, uh, and we liked it. Um, obviously Max isn't that chuffed with it because his name's not in it. Um, uh, and he's an integral part of the business. So, um, but yeah, it was, uh, that's where it came from in terms of working as a family business, I think, um, look, I, I think we, we, we strike a really good balance a hundred percent. There's been times where, you know, we're at each other, um, we're brothers, we're very competitive, but. I think where we've got the balance right is in the early days we spent some time working out what each other's skill set is and where it lies. And that was that that is quite a painful process to go through, right? When you're diving up parts of the business, right? I'm going to do this, you do that. And it's literally on the back of a fag packet. But over time, if you stick it out, it's great because we we trust each other completely. Um, we're all on the same uh, page when it comes to values and aligned in terms of what we want to achieve with the business. That's just kind of a given, so we don't really need to ever worry about those things. Um, and and we recognise what each other is good at. So like we always define it, and it sounds a bit cheesy, but if we were people say, you know, what's your role in the business? Well, I would be like on PowerPoint, working on PowerPoint most of the week. Max would be working on Excel most of the week. And Josh would have like a, uh, <laughs> Josh would have like a pencil behind his ear, um, uh, and a tape measure or a pair of tongs and a knife. So like, that's how Josh is very much operational on the ground, running our concessions business. Max is, um, Max looks at a lot of the commercial side of our business. And then I'm more customer facing and sales and things like that. So that's how we divvy it up. And my dad's in it now as well. So we used to all work for our dad. Um, he was a cabinet maker and now he works for us part-time. He's our, he's our driver basically. So he drives um, stock round and because he's virtually unemployable and a total nightmare to work with, we've given him some work um, uh, and he, we, we pay him in bacon sandwiches and Scotch eggs and crappling and stuff. And he's happy with that. Um, and then, yeah, over the, over the years, I mean, mum did our books um, back in the early days. Um, she worked on numerous amounts of stalls, you know, when her knees went not knackered. Um, so yeah, it's very much been a family affair uh, all the way through and it probably always will be, to be honest. Um, so yeah, we're lucky, uh, but there's definitely been some bumps
0: along the way. Fantastic. And whilst Max's name is not in Jolly Hog, it, it, it's great the link that you make in your packaging about the the Three Little Pigs. So he obviously is is featured in, in that site. Yeah. So I'm sure he's not too disappointed.
1: No, no, he um, no, he's very, he's integral to all. He's a middle brother, isn't he? He always feels like he's been left out of something. So um, yeah, he's the leanest out of all of us, which is really annoying as well. Um, <laughs> but
0: yeah. Excellent. You, you mentioned uh, the, the first day sales outside of Twickenham and your uh, costs and revenue being a bit out of kilter with the, the 800 costs and the revenue of of 500. But again, the, the obviously the encouragement, the, the, the demand was there and you just need to tweak it a few things what how's that changed in terms of your approach to pricing and quality and then how many hours did you invest on that grill trying to get the balance right between the meat content and and everything that you so articulately described at the onset of the pod
1: well, i think the the value and price bit is like something that we're we talk about daily you know we're in we're in retailers right so if you're not showing value to the consumer, uh, then you're just not gonna survive. Uh, and if you're not showing newness um, and quality, then you're not gonna survive either. So I think in the early days, it was very, very much about, let's just create the very best thing we possibly can and not worry about margin. It, it wasn't about that. It really wasn't. But let's get this product to the very best quality we can. I know it's a sausage in a bag, but let's work on all the detail of getting that and let's get that into as many people's hands as we can. And we went to as many festivals, uh, as many farmers markets to do that. I think ultimately, yes, you do get squeezed and you have to make decisions around packaging, transport, depots, delivery days. Um, And those are just constantly things that we're assessing all the time. But one thing that's always been drilled into us and something we've always stood by is, is quality. And we want to be able to, you know, our, our, faces are on the back of every pack, you know, like we, it has to be good. Like I'm not going into a room with anyone if we're not the best sausage, um, on that panel test. So like, that's just, that kind of is a given for us, what it is it's always a given, but it's something we have, you, you can't let go of, you have to work on it all the time and, um, you know, we joke, but you know, we do panel tasting of sausages every Tuesday, um. And I love it. I love it. Like we, we have to be best in class if we've got a saying, and it's a little bit corporate, but quality, quality is the best business plan. Because I think if you, if you can sit here all the time and know that you've got your, your product is best in class, then you're always going to have an edge. Uh, and we want something we're proud of, like we've been doing it since 2008. So we want something we can kind of hang a hat on and go, yeah, we're good. We're really good at that.
0: Excellent. Well, the passion and quality, again, it it, it rings true. And uh, as a fan of your ca- caramelised onion that I can get in the local, yes. safe street, it's, it's by, you know, I couldn't even put a percentage on how much better it is than the other sausages that are on that range. So the quality, uh, it might not be 500 to 800, and you've obviously managed to economise in yeah. some way, but it's still uh, a tremendous quality and the best on shelf. You've been a fixture at the the Stoop since you mentioned 2007 and 8, but also in your more recent history, you've been at Cheltenham, you've been at Glastonbury, uh, you've mentioned pharmacy markets and and different occasions. Can can you think back some of the best memories and and then some of the planning that potentially kept you up up at night with worry?
1: Oh, man. We we love to talk about the dark times. Me, Max and Josh love to get together for a beer and just, Because we we 100% find comfort in it because without them, without those failures, you just like, you don't learn, do you? But we've had a few, we've had a few. So can I talk about the dark ones first? Absolutely. We did an event at the Stoop. It was for the Jehovah's Witness um, convention um, that was happening at Twickenham. And they had six and a half thousand people coming to the Stoop. We ran all the catering at the Stoop. We had 10 units open, 10 different concessions units open, um, all stocked and loaded for three days of what we thought was going to be really busy, um, because we had a captive audience, Um, 40 staff, like tens of thousands of pounds worth of stock, and no one bought any food. And when I say no one bought any food, I mean no one bought anything. They all bought their own packed lunch and they all bought hot drinks. So we ran out of coffee. Um, and you know, the big red bin, biffer bins, like the roller ones, we filled a whole one of those full of meat. Um, and we lost a load of cash and we need like things like that, you know, as a small business properly can send you under, um, we've had festivals where we've turned up, you know, and you pay a pitch fee and not sold anything but water because you're not in the right spot. Um, obviously we, we opened a rest, we opened a restaurant, our second restaurant, but, um, unfortunately we had to close within 18 months. Um, I mean, you know, how difficult restaurants can be. Um, and we, uh, we decided to close it because we wanted to focus in on our retail business, but that was really painful because it cost us a lot of cash and we invested a lot, you know, emotionally into it as well. Um, but we learned a lot uh from that experience and it really kind of helped pivot our business into different areas so yeah you know and then uh, alongside that you know when you're building a business there's always people challenges obviously along the way um i think we've actually been quite fortunate because you've got a really good team but there's always been people challenges along the way um, that we've learned from and i'm sure there'll be more um but we've had plenty of good times and really successful things and i think if i reflect on some of the like key pivot, not pivot, key things that have kind of helped us or given us confidence that actually we're doing the right thing. I think probably our, our Michel Roux, when Michel Roux Jr. said, basically what happened was is that he was a Quinn's fan. I took him some sausages down to Le Gavroche, which is this like institution. You probably know it very well. Um, two two Michelin style restaurant. Um, down, down in London town, and um, and he, I gave him some sausages. It was pretty weird because he didn't know me, um, but and he was a Michelin star chef, and he was, these were my sausages that you know our recipe. And then the next day it was National Sausage Week, and um, he uh, he said on GMTV that our sausages were his favourite, uh, and my number was on the website and it just went nuts. Like we we couldn't fulfill orders, so it just went bonkers. I never heard Josh so excited in all my life. So I think, you know, moments like that were great. You know, getting our first um big, you know, getting our first retail listing um was a massive moment for us, absolutely massive. Uh, and when we reflect on that, you know, it was fairly small volume. But at the time, the fact that someone could go online on a cardo and order our product and get it delivered to their house just blew our mind. Like we just couldn't even believe that 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 was happening. And so many people had said to us, you'll never get into retail. It's like super competitive. It will never happen. Um, and, and to get to that point was just monumental for us. So there's been some incredible highs on this uh, and I'm sure that we hopefully some more, um, uh, but you've got to enjoy the the successes and the failures. Right.
0: Absolutely. Well, the the Michel Roux Jr. story is exceptional. And and what gives it even more um, context and appeal, I'd guess, is Michel Roux Jr.'s grandfather ran a charcuterie in in France. So so not only is Michel Roux Jr., uh, obviously the the nephew and the son of the Roux brothers who came over (coughs) and established Le Gavroche and Waterside Inn, but but that the, the exposure to meat and the, the knowledge of the best produce is is obviously part of the DNA. And when Le Gavroche opened, I think about thirty or forty percent of the menu contained French ingredients that couldn't be sourced in the UK. So either Michelle Roux's mum or auntie used to drive over to France and bring it all bring it all over. Uh, via the ferry so, so that was the importance of their ingredients and putting on this french menu that couldn't be achieved anywhere else so in it, it, in terms of the the landscape culinary landscape the influence that the rue brothers and michelle rue jr continues to have in the uk is absolutely astounding so to, to select your sausages for british sausage week is the best he's ever tasted It's like, you couldn't come up with anybody better in the world with more authenticity.
1: Oh, well, we like so, and I couldn't agree more. And like we, every year, every Christmas, we go to Le Gavroche with a box of sausages, Porky Black, and then some black Blacktree bacon for Michel uh, and his team. We do it, it's kind of just what we do every Christmas. But on that, on uh, Michel Roux Senior, we uh, we used to do his, um, who sadly passed away. We used to do his um golf day every year. So we used to <laughs> just do it for cash. And um his assistant would um ask us to pitch up at um the ninth hole um on the tee, um and make sure that bring sausage baps and teas and coffees. And Josh would rock up with Miss Piggy, which is our kind of vintage airstream uh, trailer. And we did this probably for eight years, I think. Um, every year, same hole, same course, same celebrity chefs on this um, on this golf day. And it was Josh's favourite event of the year, for obvious reasons. Anyway, one, one, one week we'd done the event and I had a phone call come through to the office. And it was this really thick, heavy French accent. And um, I was like, hello. And I'm not going to do the accent, but... He was like, um, hi, I'd like to speak to um, the uh, owners of the business, either Josh or Wally. And I was like, oh, I'm Ollie. um And he was like, listen, um, I'm Michelle Rue. Um, uh, thank you very much for doing my golf day, but um, I'd like to speak to you about your sausages. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then it kind of suddenly went very serious. And he was like, and I didn't know at this point whether this is one of the Quinn's boys winding me up. It's probably like, this is like classic Will Skinner to like, do something like this. So I was like, uh, okay, I'll, I'll go tread carefully on this one because if it is him, then uh, then I don't want to mess around. But anyway, I, 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 I didn't know if it was being recorded in some team room at Quinn's. So uh, so anyway, he said, look, I'd like to speak to you about the sausages. I, I'm not happy with what's happened. I was like, okay. Um, I was like, okay. Um, he was like, um, the quality wasn't as good as it's been for the last six years and the um i want to know whether you've changed the recipe on the sausage uh, and i was just like listen I, I, i'm really sorry that um you thought you think the quality it, you know isn't up to what it has been um i'm going to go and find out you know if something's changed but i can assure you that the recipe is exactly the same as it always been when we were hand making them and it hasn't changed and anyway we had this we had a very very long conversation about Ingredients that go in sausages, and it was amazing, you know, like it was pretty difficult one to take on the chin because obviously (laughs) that's not the call that you want or I was expecting at all. Um, but on reflection, like the fact that you've got someone like him that is prepared to take time out to phone me and say, I think something's changed, or you know, I don't agree with the flavor profile, um, and the seasoning on what you've done is amazing and there's a lot of lessons in that, right? And, uh, you know, I couldn't—I probably haven't really told this story because I was just, like embarrassed for a couple of years, um, but I reflect on it now and I think actually it's pretty amazing. Um, and, you know, to go to that level of detail uh, and take time out to do that is great. So anyway, the moral of the story is I learned a lot. They hadn't changed the recipe, it might have been, you know, a bad day for some reason, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah,
0: that was that. Thanks, Holly. And um, is it possible to to talk through wh- which particular sausage Michelle Rue Jr. was so enamored with, or was it a range?
1: I think it, I think it was our Porky Black. So oh. I think you say, our well, Porky Black is kind of our signature sausage. It's got chunks of black pudding in it and dried apple, um, which as a combo is incredible because you get the sweetness of the apple coming through the black pudding gives it a slightly different texture. And what we do is we hand, it gets hand chopped, um, um, put into the sausage, but not blended. Um, if you know what I mean? So you get chunks of black pudding rather than it being emulsified into the pork mix. So when you bite into it, you can actually see chunks of black pudding, chunks of apple, you know what you're eating, uh, and the flavor profile, you know, if we, in terms of awards, like we we're very lucky to have won lots of really good, you know, Uh, awards sausage wise and I think we have got 36 great taste awards but that Porky Black would be the one that gets an award every year Um, and it'd be the one that we kind of always push forward in a panel. It is polarising Porky Black because not everyone likes black pudding right but um, yeah I mean I could talk to you about Porky Black for like hours.
0: Pierre Kaufman who was the uh, chef at Waterside Inn for the Rue brothers he actually came to the UK to watch England France so you only took the job so you could come over and, and watch rugby. So uh, <laughs> another rugby link between uh, the Rue brothers and and, uh, and obviously rugby. Um, you talked about the supermarket and, and the big the big break coming with Ocado. You're now available in most of the supermarkets that I, I frequent. Um, are you able just to talk through that process? And then some of the milestones you hit to be able to to essentially increase your distribution dramatically.
1: Yeah, so um, again, what I would say is we didn't have some like grand master plan at the time. We just had a vision that we wanted to get our products that we thought were great into as many households as we could um, and scaling up was was really tricky. And we quickly realized that actually we can't, we're not gonna be able to handle in sausages and pack sausages ourselves. So, um, what we did is we partnered with a, um, a processor who had the distribution links, had the infrastructure to be able to do our recipes, our packaging, develop new products and and be going into these depots. And that was one of the biggest challenges to get over, to try and get into these channels. So that was a big one for us. First up, we got into Ocado, we quickly became, um, Ocado's, um, best selling banger um i don't like using the word banger just because it basically the history of banger is that it, the cheap sausages during the war um were filled full of water and then they explode and went bang so i shouldn't use that um but so we became their best sausage uh, and best bacon brand and then i'd like to think that anyway that's not official but um and then we were able that gave us enough kind of enough to get a meeting with a buyer at sainsbury's um and we had some friends there as well which helped Uh, and then we got our first listing um was with three lines in 39 stores which you know is a pretty at the time was massive but is pretty small listing because they've got about two thousand stores um or somewhere between one and two um and so that was a massive moment for us to see product on a shelf physically in a supermarket was was massive and it was really tough, really good learning curve, because we need volume for our business to work. Um, and so for a long time, our events and our concessions business was really a vehicle to promote the brand, but it had to make money because it was the only thing that kind of paid our wages. Uh, and when I finished playing rugby, um, salary dropped off a massive cliff. Um, so we had to have events ticking over to bring cash in and then, yeah, we got into Sainsbury's. Um, I think in 2016, um, and and then we built up from there. And now we're at a point where um, we uh, m- some of it was down to the pandemic. So and there was a lot of mealtime occasions at home, people eating bacon and sausages at home. Um, two years ago, that kicked off. So retailers and supermarkets there was empty shelves where the demand was so big. So uh, we had we we've, we've seen a lot of growth in that time over the last couple of years into Tesco, Waitrose, Co-op, um, yeah, and obviously we're in Ocado and Sainsbury's, we're in Gusto, um, Asda. Uh, so we've got coverage across all of the retailers, um, but you know it's not been overnight. You know, like we started in two thousand and eight, so um, it's been a lot of a lot of hard graft and a lot of um, trips from Bristol to London with a poly box of sausages underneath our arms, um, bashing down doors effectively. Um, and that, and that's what I really enjoy. I like getting out there, speaking to people about the company and, and the sausages and the product and we're product led. So it's, it's, it's great to get in a kitchen and have, um, and, and get around a table and do that. I think, uh, so I think kind of the last couple of years have really, really grown. And now we've got, um, 18 lines across six different categories um in sort of three or four thousand different stores across the uk And um, um, our retail sales value is is about 35 million quid so retail sales value obviously if someone's paying three quid for a pack of sausages that's that added up that's not what we're making but it's um it's a it's a nice bigger number um and we you know i'd say in the market we're probably the second biggest premium sausage brand um and close to you know the second biggest in bacon, um, soon to be hopefully number one on both of those at some point over the next couple of years. So, you know, it's um, it's been it's been great. It's been really good and seen lots of growth, but it's been through a lot of hard work.
0: Absolutely. So that, that was one of the positives from COVID, but how, how have you overall been impacted as a business by COVID? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure that the mealtime occasions is a positive, but there must've been some challenges also.
1: Yeah, massively. And like, I think we've definitely saw both sides of it, you know, hospitality and events side was decimated overnight. Um, and it's been a roller, as you know, like a roller coaster. um, you know, it's been really, really tricky to navigate. Um, we went from doing Cheltenham festival, uh, the races one week, um, with a 30 by 30 meter marquee, thousands of hog rolls and bacon rolls and pints going out to the week which probably was an event that shouldn't have happened in hindsight um to you know the next week you know explaining to chefs that we're going to have to close the restaurant down. and you know whopping wharf where we are in bristol there's probably about 20 25 different restaurants and it was like apocalyptic it was mad it was just bonkers there was like chefs walking around with boxes of vegetables were going to go out of date and just walking home with like a kind of like lost look on their face and it was really really tough time um in terms of that side of the business and we built up our business through events and concessions and the restaurant that was that was you know a big part of a big chunk so it was really tough for josh my brother who's you know that was his bread and butter every day um but we were fortunate to have retail as a channel um which grew massively. So I think it was really interesting seeing both sides of it. And we've always been keen to keep all of the channels open because you never know when something might not work out. Now, what it's helped us to do with our small restaurant is refine the menu, um, make sure that we're set up for delivery and Uber Eats, and it's probably focused us a little bit um, and simplified the operation a bit to make sure that it is a bit more robust. Um, and it's probably sped up plans that we had across the group, um, and forced us to get, get going a bit quicker, which has been really good for us as well. So it, it's been, um, and uh, you know, and we closed our second restaurant that we opened the week before the first lock first lockdown. Um, so we were fortunate on that mm-hmm. front, but yeah, it's been, it's been tricky and I do feel really bad for, you know, chains and people that have got more than us in terms of Investment into restaurants has been tough, right?
0: Absolutely. Well, your branding and marketing is is really of a, a world class standard, and with the links to the Three Little Pigs and, and your website that talks about your uh, brand personality and history. Has this all been developed in house, or have you worked with a marketing agency or consultancy on some of the brand work?
1: um Good. That's a really good question. So the logo and um, uh, the brand identity, we worked with a, a, a legend that is a guy called Steve Booth. Um, and he, he's a creative director of an agency, um, that did this sort of thing. Now he, he's such a good egg that, you know, we, we can afford 50, hundred K, whatever it costs to do that process. So, um, we were very fortunate to work with him. Um, we still now work with him. Um, he's brilliant at this sort of thing. So. He did it for sausages and tickets to rugby, um, which was great uh, and helped us Yeah, helped us develop the, the look and feel. And as I say, you know, when we did a relaunch of all of the packaging last year, he was heavily involved in that. Um, I think, you know, brands are a, a living, breathing thing. They're not just something you set up and you put a stamp and that's it. Like, it has to be a living, breathing thing. And so in-house, we've got a really good marketing team. We've got someone great who looks after products. Uh, and we're all, there's 15 of us here at Hog HQ and everyone lives and breathes the the brand. Uh, and I think, I, I'd like to think hopefully it shows. Um, uh, and it, it, and we want to have fun, you know, like we, it's good stuff. It's important to us to have fun with it. So hopefully that comes across. But um, yeah, we, we, we didn't spend loads of money on it. We spent time on it um, and it will evolve. But uh, yeah, the key messages are there.
0: In addition to Steve Booth, have there been any other mentors or high profile business leaders that you've been able to spend time with or, or learn some life lessons from i know uh, will mentioned especially that harlequins seem to have a lot of senior business exec links to the the club Yeah, that are pretty good at offering advice
1: yeah massively and i'm like uh, i actually wrote a blog about the other day about getting mentors and how it can really help um you step back from the day to day and kind of get some strategy and get some clarity on long-term planning. So I'm a massive fan of it. I didn't know it at the time, but I've always been someone who's kind of quite keen to ask questions um, and speak to people and see the value in it. I'm just not one for reading big reports. I can't do it. Um, So what I I really enjoy is I can absorb information from others that have done it. So um, I had a few along the way, Um, had some really good directors of rugby that have helped me um, in rugby terms. And I think rugby taught me a hell of a lot that really helped transition over to business. Um, we still use a lot of that. Um, our chairman, um, Mark is, uh, has been brilliant for us. You know, he's been six, seven years as chair. Um, he had a big digital marketing agency. Um, and when I first met him, um, he said, you know, how can I help? And I said, could you do a website? Not knowing how big his business was. And he was like, yeah, I think we could do a website. Uh, and then the, the next the next coffee, he did a website for us, which was great. And then the next coffee I had with him, he was like, you know, what's keeping you awake at night? Uh, and, then, and then after that, he was just like, well, I was like, well, I kind of need someone to challenge the business that's not a brother or mum and dad, or, you know, a friend or part of the family. Um, And we need that in our business to grow. And he said, well, why don't I just be for six months? Why don't I just be your um, chairman, you know, temporary chairman, if you want? And then he's been with us ever since. And he's been very, very good at helping us put some structure on things, think about things strategically. Um, And he's been there and done it. And and that uh, I would always encourage people um, to go out and do that. So Um, That's one. There's, there's others. There's been, you know, a couple of key ones from Quinns. Um, One, I won't mention the name, but um, she's, she's been extremely influential. And I still speak to her kind of once a month, um, mainly around building brands and and retail industry, because it's a beast, right? And if you're not out there speaking to people and understanding it, then you're not going to survive. So um, she's always been someone uh, that's been massively instrumental. And I can always pick up the phone to her and go, what the hell does that mean? Like, where's this going? Um, And so in retail, there's a whole other language. So um, she's been helpful on that front. But yeah, loads of people have. And, you know, rugby players I played with, high profile mates, you know, lots of them have helped out. It's amazing what people will do for a free sausage. Um, So I had lots of help along the way. Probably the biggest is, you know, our parents really um, invested into us uh, and they've been great, so fortunate.
0: Talking around dietary requirements and changing needs, You mentioned that you're doing tastings every Tuesday, and then uh, with regard, and I know that the Jolly Hog sausages that I get are gluten-free and also they're RSPCA-assured. How do you approach dietary changing needs and and, uh, different different trends, but also some of the um, longer-term issues around dietary requirements?
1: Well, it's it's an interesting question because our business is in processed meats. Um, So, um, my feeling is, and ours as a business is that um, we don't we're not we don't want to compromise on quality and taste. So, yes, you can make a leaner sausage or a sausage without with less salt in it, but it's not going to taste as good. Uh, and it's not going to be as good. And where we feel like we sit is, we get that people are, I can't read off the stats, but we get that there is a reduction in meat uh, consumption. Um, it's still massive, like it's still huge. It's still part of everyone's week, but there is a slight reduction in consumption of meat. And the, where we feel like we sit is that if you're going to have a really, really, bloody good bacon sandwich, make sure it's the best. Yeah. Okay. If you're gonna go from two bacon sandwiches to one and it's on Sunday at brunch and you've done your filter coffee and the sun's shining through the window and you're a bit knackered from the week, make sure it's bloody good. Make sure it's dry cured, thick cut, black treacle bacon in sourdough with butter. Just go for it because that's way better. That's way better um, as an experience in terms of quality. So that's kind of where we feel like we sit. I think, yes, we've always got an eye on, what the raw material is going in, um, sources, as I said, what used to be all the kind of trim and off cuts, ours, you know, ours is now prime cuts, belly and shoulder go into the mix. That's really important for us. Um, and then the welfare standard of, um, the farms that we source from is really important to us. So those are kind of the bits that we really focus in on. Um, I think if you're trying to be really healthy, you're not coming to the Jolly hog, let's be honest um but if you want really good quality and you care about the welfare of the animals then you come uh, and, you, and you and you enjoy good products so that's that's kind of where we sit
0: it's a very pragmatic and sensible approach and uh, I'm I'm all for uh, maximizing and and looking at the, the making the most of whatever you're going to have and and you've articulated that really well in terms of the NHS support and some of the the good community things that jolly hog do are you able to talk a little to jolly jolly good deeds and some of the initiatives you've you've had in and around that
1: yeah jolly good deeds is now kind of a big part of our business and it started we knew that we needed to start doing some jolly good deeds uh, and we also like the name um, but it kicked off when lockdown started and our local big host, hospital is called southmead it's the biggest in the southwest of england it's ginormous uh, i think ten thousand people are there and um and, and when lockdown happened, as I said, we had the restaurants closed, events closed down, we had all this stock ready for the summer for events. Frozen bacon, sausage had to go into deep freeze, otherwise it was going to waste. And we were like, what can we do with it? So we sent out some boxes and we sent out to um, food banks, but we still had so much that um, Max, my brother, his next door neighbor was um, a consultant at the hospital, said, look, can we help out? Because at the, at, at the time, shit was hitting the fan and it was a nightmare um and like you know obviously there was a big appreciation for the nhs but we felt like you know what can we actually do we had trailers we were set up to do events so so look can we bring down some bacon sandwiches they said yeah could you bring down 50. that day it turned into 500 and then we were like this is this needs to be we need to do this more and we did it every friday and um, we would turn up at four in the morning, and we would give out about fifteen hundred bacon sausage, or sometimes sort of pulled pork um, sandwiches. And we did that every Friday, and it was it was an amazing thing to be part of. We we ended up um, giving out fifty thousand baps um, over a, over that period of time, and it wasn't just us. I can't we can't take full credit for it. Like we had lots of help, so we did the actual cooking and the serving, but. Um, Hobbs House Bakery, the local bakery gave us 20,000 rolls and oh, actually I think all of the rolls um, and and we had support from others but I think w- what it showed is that if you're in a position you know as a business we were we were doing all right we were in growth at a time when people were really struggling that we should be able to help and we were and we took time out to do it and it was brilliant and so from that we now have got a partnership with a, um, a really great charity called Fair Share which takes food waste, boxes it up um, from retailers and then sends it out um, to uh, underprivileged families that that are in need. Um, and so that's been great for us. It's been great for the team. And actually like, it, it sounds cheesy, but it is to give back, to be in a position to be able to give back. And, um, you know, it was in the early days of that Jolly Good Deeds campaign, it was just us, me, Max and Josh back in the airstream cooking bacon and it felt good because that's where we started. Uh, we put Meatloaf on the playlist, a bit of old school rap um, at like four or five in the morning, take the piss out of each other and get on with it, and it was great. Um, and then after every Friday shift, we would drive the trailer back via Mum and Dad's. And we couldn't really go into Mum and Dad's and we sit on some plastic chairs on on their driveway and have a, a can of lukewarm beer that Dad um, Dad gave us and. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, uh, we'll look back on that time with fond memories, um, but now is the evolution of that and what else we can do to help. Um, because as a business, the guys in the office, everyone here wants to be able to do things and be part of something like that. So um, it was great.
0: So in terms of company vision, Ollie, Jolly Hog's got a super business now, you, you, sometimes referred to as omni-channel in terms of having retail, restaurants, Trust yeah. and supplying third parties what what's next and, and what's the future going to bring do you have any uh aspirations to to continue to to grow and try all new things or do you think it will just be a case of growing the distribution via the retail
1: yeah i mean like we uh, we're only scratching the surface really of like and it still feels like a startup every single day here so um we We've had a good journey so far, but we've got a long way to go. And I think our, our mission is to become the most loved and biggest premium meat brand in the UK. That's our, our mission. Um, and so, yes, when I say we're scratching the surface, we've got loads of market shares to chase and go after and grow in our core business, which is sausages and bacon. So loads to go after on that front. That is the, that that's what we'll be doubling down on efforts to do. Um, and then outside of that, it's like, There are other places where this brand can go in terms of new products and potentially new proteins. So um, into new categories, we launched Jolly Hen, um, which has been successful. Um, Chicken sausage, um, we launched Jolly Cow. Um, So, you know, I think there's other ways we can use Jolly, um, which is great. So, but I think we'll be firmly sticking to our, our heartland, which is sausage and bacon and growing those and, creating something that people love and and trust and buy every week um I think there's that that's our mission that's what we're gonna grow um, and whilst focusing on becoming a really good place to work because that's really important.
0: Fleur de and your grandmother for the Welsh connection. Were you able just to talk through the 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 call-up for Wales and and then how you felt picking up the medal? Uh well sorry, yeah, when I got capped, I mean it was amazing. Like I mean, I'd take the
1: piss, but like the whole process, the whole uh, that whole bit in my life was amazing to be part of a Six Nations campaign, only a very small part, but yeah, like a tiny part. Um, I was just gutted that I wasn't able to play, and I got injured in the team run before the French game the week after I made my debut. But yeah, I, I only played eight minutes against Ireland. Um, we lost, uh, and then we went on to win the Six Nations. And it was a pretty strange feeling because um, all the injured players were in a box watching England get hammered by Wales, um, at what was called the Millennium then. They called it a Millennium then, I think. Yeah, and. Um, you know, go up on stage and get a Six Nations winning medal felt a bit weird for my eight minute impact, but it was a great experience. I got to see both sides of it because kind of saw the Welsh changing room. I also knew half the England squad at the time, because Robbo was captain, Marla, DC, Brownie, loads of them. Were, you know, I kind of saw both sides of it. Um, they were all mates from Quinn, so. But yeah, great experience. it didn't play more. Um, get the piss ripped out of me this time of year. Actually, today, I'll get the record amount of texts saying who you're supporting tomorrow, England-Wales uh, at Twickenham, so this this time of year comes around every year. Um, uh, yeah, but no, what a great experience. I mean, I, I got Yanto, um, so Ian Evans, um, put uh, on the morning, I think, of the game, uh, got to know Yanto, had a lot of teas and coffees with him. He was a sapper um and a uh, great guy really helped welcome me into the squad with some of the others and he'd gone out and bought um some cheap sausages um and written i love you uh, in sausages outside my room which which was really nice really nice to touch that uh, a lot of thoughts gone into that yeah Just thought, oh, i'm gonna to go to the supermarket buy some sausages and put them outside of wally's room so that made me feel welcome that was a great bunch great experience
0: well, I was gonna say he's massive, but but I think you you are also. is you both six foot ten?
1: Well no, he's taller than me. Um he's definitely leaner than me. Um I'm heavier than he is, but yeah, he, he had a great career um as well. I think he ended up in Bristol as well, playing rugby at Bristol. So, but yeah, great career, great player.
0: Thank you. I just have a few final quick fire questions. So, what do the first 60 minutes of your day look like? And do you have any morning rituals where you try and get a frame for the day setup.
1: Yeah, so I, I, I always, you wouldn't look at, you wouldn't think by looking at me, but I always try and get a bit of exercise in. So whether it's half an hour or 40 minutes, get a bit of exercise in, because I'm much better at the start of the day, you ain't getting any exercise out of me in the evening. So try and get that done, but um, have a good shower and then um, sit down and write out my to-do list. Um, I'm pretty old school. Um, I know there's a thing called time blocking, now, but I um, I write out my to-do list, so I gather the things I didn't do yesterday, chuck them into the day, um, kind of map out my day um on uh, on the on the diary, and then people everyone in the office starts to come in around half seven, eight o'clock. Um I'm trying to be in protect uh, trying to perfect my milk game. We've got a new coffee set up here, so um that's very important to me. Um uh, and yeah and just kind of touch base with everyone and i'm really enjoying having people back in the office having that contact again i missed that so uh, that's my routine is making sure that i'm set for the day i'm best i'm most productive i reckon between half six and about half ten and then it's all downhill for me after that i get most stuff done then that's when i'm on my best
0: you obviously uh... Have a sophisticated palate and a good culinary understanding. Would Would you have a favourite restaurant in the UK where you'd go for special occasion?
1: Yeah, Le Gavroche is my favourite restaurant, and it, for for loads of reasons. But the service and the food is incredible. I was in there at Christmas, and I watched one of the um, uh, one of the team prep the cheese trolley and i think i could have watched that for like 12 hours straight because the detail that went into preparing this cheese trolley in the morning before service was off the chart and that sort of level of detail oh, quality of food the history around it um and the service is brilliant it's a real treat uh, i love that place
0: ollie I'm, that's superb thank you so much for your time i have no no further questions for you it's uh it been incredible to hear of your career, the business, how it's grown, your philosophy, and uh, some of what the future may hold. So thank you for the generosity of your time and and making time in your busy schedule to to talk with a pod.
1: No problem, it's been a pleasure, mate.
0: So a huge thank you to Ollie for the generosity of your time, wisdom, and great insights on Jolly Hog. I'd also like to take the opportunity to thank Will Skinner, a mutual friend and a great friend from Singapore. And we'll leave you just with a couple of minutes Bolly talking about Will Skinner and his great leadership and captaincy when he was the youngest captain ever at Harlequins.
1: Hey. oh man, I love Skinner, he's one of my great mates. Um, he was actually, because he's tiny, um he had to be really aggressive um and bullish and try and be the alpha male but um look, he was a great player skins like you can help but respect skins because he was nails um he was absolutely relentless um in pursuit of kind of being the best he could possibly be he got the most out of his tiny frame um and considering you know some of the guys he was up against Punched well above his weight. Uh, Great leader. Love like great mate. Love playing with him. His leadership style was like follow me. Um, He was articulate as well. So he had. I think he had a really good feeling for how everyone was feeling, and he wasn't afraid to kind of share his view on that. Um, But yeah, just kind of all out, um, relentless, and you couldn't help but follow him into battle. So um, really enjoyed it, and yeah, he's remained a great friend of mine. Um, since and you kind of knew that when he finished, we play, We finished playing rugby. We started exactly the same day at the club. I think we played exactly the same amount of games, and we finished and retired on the same day. So when it got announced on BBC News that we were retiring, same post, so same day, and um, uh, and so you kind of knew when he was finishing up that uh, he was going to go on and be successful in his own right as well. Um, yeah, great guy.